Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. Today, Kirsty and I are talking about moving between milestones. I'm super, super excited because Kirsty's going to be doing the main talking with this one. So yay about that. And she's going to tell us what this means about moving between milestones. So this particular one, we're going to talk about the transitional movements between sitting and creeping. Um, and I'll differentiate between creeping and crawling for those new to maybe pediatrics or the field. So it's really a little bit of a how-to, but just before we get started, I kind of want to share a little bit of a story about, I guess, really what made me see the value in this and how important it was. So as therapists, just in layman plain old terms, PTs, we generally get people from point A to point B. That's kind of our job. It's mobility. So I was probably about four or five years in as a PT. I did a lot of home visits at this time and I got a new referral uh, to go work with a child. He was born with Down syndrome. He had congestive heart failure, which sometimes can happen with children with Down syndrome. And that didn't rattle me too much. I feel like you know what to look for. You just have to kind of adjust your therapy as the child gives you the signs of when they're feeling tired or exhausted. And then, I mean, the doctor had referred them and the parents are living with this situation all the time. So there's really no reason not to treat as long as the doctor says, okay, right? Right. That didn't rattle me. What did was when I went in to do the evaluation and I find out that the mom is a developmental pediatrician and she knows milestones. So, and even that didn't rattle me. It's when I was confronted with, what are you going to tell me different that I don't already know? And it was kind of like a reality check. So I did my evaluation. I let her know that I would be in contact with her after I scored it. Cause obviously we knew we were going to pick the child up and I would let her know the plan. And this was coming through the CDSA. So obviously I can't do too much without their involvement anyway. So as I drove back, questioning everything I do on a daily basis, I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, she's right. She is so right. Because she asked you the question, what are you going to do? What she am I going to do that she doesn't already know? I, she, she already knows the answers to a lot of these questions developmentally when the child is going to hold their head up, when they're going to sit, when they're going to crawl, when they're going to creep, when they're going to walk. That's her gig. That's her deal. She's a developmental pediatrician. She already knows the answers. So when she flat out asked me, what can I show her different? Well, okay, I had to gear myself up because I'm like, I know stuff. I can show her things that are different. And so it really made me stretch as a therapist because I had to come in with something new and something different. And I couldn't just say, oh, here's some activities to work with your baby to get them to sit up or to get them to roll. She can look those up online herself. I mean, that's not what our skill set is. That's not why we come in. So it really got me thinking the most important thing that we do is not teach the developmental milestones. It's teach the movements in between the milestones. And that's what I think when you realize that you can move from a good therapist to an even better therapist. So I think that's great. And isn't that cool how she made you think and sort of figure that out? At first, I was not very appreciative of it. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> no, at first I was like, I don't want to go back there. 
Right. <laughs> She's asking the hard questions. What? No. It was. But I think, too, that's where you grow and that's mm-hmm. where you get better. When somebody challenges you, that's where really cool stuff starts to happen. Yep. You met the challenge, too. You know, it wasn't like you just like, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. She liked me. There you go. (laughs) Well, she did ask the question. Hey, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for my child? She asked the question. That's really the question that every parent asks, honestly, when they come through the door without really asking it. What are you going to do for me? And that's the one we have to meet. But that's a great story. I love it. So that took some self-reflection, too, (laughs) to be like, you do need to bring something else to the table. You do need to show her what you know, and you can help him, which is kind of where this podcast stems from. And I see a lot of times, you know, therapists new to the field do teach the developmental milestones. And that's great. It, It is. People need to know that. A lot of people aren't aware of what those are and what the next steps are and what comes after sitting. What what do we work on next? And so that's even more crucial when you have a child with a diagnosis or low tone or high tone. So it's really important then to know how to move through the different milestones and the transitions that go in between. So that's what we're going to talk about today is going from sitting to creeping. So you come in, you do your standardized tests, you know what the child is able to do, what they're not able to do from standardized testing, a lot of standardized testing. I take the Peabody, for example, that's pretty common to use in that birth to three population, really can go all the way up to five, but you're going to see their reflexes. It's going to look at their stationary skills. So can they sit? Can they hold a tall kneel? And then it's going to go to their locomotor skills. Can they move? But it doesn't really assess the in-between. You can hear your enthusiasm for standardized tests. Because <laughs> neither you oh, nor I. I hate a standardized <laughs> I test. But, <laughs> but, you know why? Because they miss the important stuff. <laughs> exactly. So this is awesome because I'm not a fan of them either. But you're right. That's what a standardized test does. It hits the high points. It does. So, yep. okay, we walk away with the high points. We know what the child can do. We know what the child can't do. But we don't know about their abilities in between. So that's where your objective assessment has to come in and see what they can and cannot do. So we know developmentally that children learn skills, motor skills, cephalocaudal, so head to tail. We know they develop head control first and it moves down the chain. Pretty common knowledge for a PT anyway. Yeah. Well, if you think about the way a baby moves, they lift their head first, you know, they're picking their head up and that makes sense, right? Right. But one thing that you often don't consider is what plane they typically move in. So babies typically move in that sagittal plane, which means most of the movement begins forward to backward. Put them on the ground, they lay on the ground, and they flex and extend their arms. They kick their legs in -hmm. the sagittal plane. They chin tuck in the sagittal plane. Everything is front to back. When you put a baby on all fours, because, you know, your PT said, hey, your baby sits. Now we got to work on crawling. Let's plop them in all fours and let's work on rocking. They're rocking in the sagittal plane, front to back, front to back. From a speech therapist's perspective, they move their tongue front and back when they're eating. That's how they drink. Sagittal plane. So movement happens in the sagittal plane. Well, who's going to come in and teach the rotary component? All the transitional movements. So for babies who acquire skills typically, it generally just happens because, you know, 
human nature, we, we start to develop things. But for those kids where the rotary component doesn't come in, that's where your skill set comes in as a PT to work on transitional movements, that rotation component. And so you see that early on in children when they start you take a baby who's laying in supine, playing on the floor. You have those little mobiles that you put above the baby's head where they start batting at the toys. You're getting midline play, mm -hmm. which again, typical development. And as a PT, you're educating the parent on the importance of reaching to midline because how does that help you as a speech therapist? Well, they need to reach to midline because they need to bring hands to mouth for oral motor play. They need to bring bottle to mouth for mm -hmm. feeding. It's for self-soothing. If you're an OT, that's the importance of bringing to midline. But after midline, you have to start crossing midline. So when a baby starts crossing midline, that's in that rotary plane. That's in that transitional plane of movement. Crossing midline is important for rolling so that now we can transition from supine to rolling. And I know this is talking about sitting to creeping. Just bear with me. I'm getting there. But it, because it comes from this whole idea of you got to start with the crossing of midline. And so when I'm working with a baby that they are able to sit, they're learning to sit independently and toys are the motivating factor at this age and they're engaging with toys, I like to start where I'm sitting kind of in that split. My legs are out in front of me and the baby is right there facing away from me. So kind of very different than what you do as a speech therapist, Hayden, mm -hmm. where you're facing the child and you're in their face because your whole purpose is that communication and social piece. Right. Well, my role as a PT is movement and mobility. So not that I don't treat the whole child and I don't do engagement. I like to have the parent sit in front of me. So the parent is engaging with the child. It's their relationship. Now I'm mm -hmm. facilitating the movement piece. So is it fair to say that for any child who may have some disability or some issue that would be sort of an obstacle for typical development not to happen, so say for a child that may be hearing impaired or a child that's born with Down syndrome or something like that, then they're going to sort of stay in that sagittal plane because having that impairment would cause them to have trouble moving because it's like you said, it's just going to happen. But for those kids, it might not just happen. Is that fair to say or no? It is. And we're going to get into some, some reasons why it doesn't happen. Okay. So I like to work with children when they start sitting and we're working on getting to the creeping position. So I like, again, I sit behind them. I like to use toys as the motivator or the parent, depending on which is more motivating. I like to put the toys outside of my legs because they're sitting between me. I like to have them then turn their whole body. I'm sometimes blocking their hand. I say ipsilateral, meaning I'm going to block the hand that is on the same side of the leg that the toys are on the outside of. So if you can visualize with me, I am sitting, the child is in front of me facing away, I have toys off to my left side, and I'm going to block the child's left arm and make them reach across body to retrieve that toy with their right hand and return to sit. I got the visual, yep. So they have now used rotation of the trunk to reach over and use their core to pull that toy back. Then I let them play because that's the reward, the toy's the reward. PTs need repetition, so we go to the other side and back. I try and get at least five and back. My next step in that process is now I want that left hand to go all the way down to the ground outside of my leg, weight bear through the left hand, 
reach for the toy with the right hand and bring it back. Again, I'm still working on repetition. So I go both directions. Mm -hmm. So you can see where now I'm trying to, now what I'm going to do when I go for that toy, I'm going to put it a little further out just out of their reach, I am going to have them bear weight on their left hand, reach across midline for that toy, but oopsie, it's just too far. (laughs) (laughs) So they're going to end up on all fours. And Mm. I might facilitate from their hip to get them up into all fours. They're going to reach, grab that toy, and they have support of my leg underneath their trunk. And I like to use my body to facilitate. So I might then start to heel slide my leg up so my leg is coming off the ground now to Mm -hmm. help guide them back. No baby likes to be manhandled. So if you're putting your hands all over them and moving them around, that's not facilitating movement. Well, and it sounds to me as you're talking too, then it's just sort of you're naturally kind of, you know, if they're crawling over something, they may naturally be shifted back anyway. If it Exactly. And you want to make it as natural as possible. And Hayden, you from a speech perspective, talk a lot about the pause. The same thing happens in PT. You have to pause. You have to set them up for situations where their body has to respond. And when it's going to respond in a way different than what you need to facilitate the movement, that's when you start to facilitate. But as a PT, you have to pause. Do you think you have to learn that the pause is okay? Because I I think when I first got out of school, I thought I had to do, do, do every single minute. But then I think I learned that the pause was okay. I think the pause is necessary. Yeah, I agree. It's totally necessary. I think you're right. I think you do as a therapist. You're like, oh my gosh, well, I have to bill a code. So I have to be doing something like this has to be therapeutic. It is. It's more therapeutic than you constantly doing. If you're just moving the child through the motions, their body is not having to respond. They don't have a minute to process what just happened, you know, and sort of let it sink in. So I think they have to process through that. And that's, you know, what did I just do? Exactly. So I talked a little bit about how I'm using toys or the parent to engage. If you think about that, children at this age where, you know, I didn't really talk about the like developmental age for sitting, but usually a baby's sitting at about six months, some a little before, some a little bit later, but generally speaking about six months. Well, at six months, a baby uses their vision for movement. So they see something they want and they're ready to go after it or holler to get it and somebody bring it to them. So six months vision. So that's why I use the toys for tracking and motivation. They're using their vision to promote the movement. And also think about how much more vestibular input a child is getting. If you think about a child moving in that sagittal plane and they're rocking and they're moving front to back and they're lifting their head up front to back and they're not rotating. Well, Hayden, as a speech therapist, you know about all that inner ear stuff and what happens with the cochlea and all that jazz, which I'm Mm -hmm. not going to go into because this is about rotation, (laughs) but that vestibular movement is so important for development. With the rotation component, you're setting up a child for that much more input that our bodies need and crave a lot of times. Because we see a lot of children as they get older that didn't have a lot of vestibular movement. You're right. That's a really interesting point, Kirsty, because you're right. If they're not rotating their body, then that is a lot of vestibular that's happening. Because all the movement patterns that happen with the rotation and all the other stuff that comes along with it. 
So this is a total side note, but bonus footage about vestibular rotation. Mm -hmm. Think about all of the kids now that ride in cars and sit on technology or have iPads or screens in the car seat. Well, we didn't have that growing up. You didn't have that growing up. We had to like find license plates outside and turn our head and we're looking out the window to find something green because those are the games you played in the car when you traveled. Kids don't get that vestibular movement anymore. You're right. Yeah. And like, look at the letters as you're going down the, you know, uh-huh. find the M and the McDonald's. Find an A and... on the street sign. <laughs> well, you know, and you think about it because also like kids who are visually impaired, they're not going to get any of that, you know, <laughs> or the kids who are watching a movie in the car, you're, you're not going to get any of that stuff. No. And you're going to know more about this than I will, but kids with visual impairment, they're not going to rotate as much because no. they lose their sense of center. Well, and even just think about the children with autism who, you know, maybe you're undiagnosed with autism. You know, they have a lot of times you're seeing them, Kirsty, when, and you're working on a lot of that rotation and that kind of moving out of the one plane of movement. Um, you can, of course, speak to all of that more than I can, but they're not getting the reinforcement and the stuff from looking at stuff outside the car window, really. A lot of times they're looking at movies or they're not that motivated to look around at the world and stuff. They're more head straight ahead, watching a movie or, or iPad or that kind of thing too, you know? They're not as motivated. So I gave you some ideas for transitioning from that sitting position and how I kind of break it down into segments. So, you know, this isn't all going to happen in one session. This is over many, many sessions where you get them into that creeping position and back with trunk rotation. Because what you see for a child that moves only in that sagittal plane front to back is we get on our tummy. So let's say we're on our tummy. So a lot of times these children are not going from sitting to creeping and creeping to sitting, which creeping different than crawling, creeping the tummy is up off the floor as opposed to crawling where belly is on the floor in that commando crawl. A lot of times where children start to move, if they're moving in that sagittal plane, they don't go from sitting to creeping. They go from prone on their belly to pressing up into all fours, sagittal plane, to crawling, sagittal plane, to pushing back into a W-sit, sagittal plane. Okay, now you're going to have to pause and go backward for me. So I thought crawling was on all fours and your tummy was off the floor. No, that's creeping. You're kidding me. No, crawling is tummies on the floor. That commando crawl, your tummy's on the floor, that's crawling? that's crawling. Is that common knowledge to the public? To PTs it is. Well, <laughs> well, what are they going to let us in on the secret? Because I know I just like, rocked your world. You did because I thought crawling was like crawling on your hands and knees. That's crawling, no. right? Crawling is tummy is not clear of the floor. Well, that's fascinating. The kids that move in the sagittal plane are your children with Down syndrome, the low tone, the children high tone. They're going to push up and prone, push back into that W. They've got high tone. They're going to do that bunny hop on their knees. You've seen it. Mm-hmm. And where it started was, hey, we teach milestones, we teach sitting, now we're going to put them in um, quadruped, and we're going to rock, and we're going to start creeping, but we didn't teach the in-between. So when we don't teach the rotation component, and we don't teach the transition, we end up with compensations of skills. Aha. Is that also what happens when they just are like scooting on their bottom end and not crawling? They slide across the room on their bottom because they can't transition. It's also hard. It's upper extremity weight-bearing. It requires the vestibular system to be intact. It requires the vision system to be intact. So if you have a child that's not used to movement or fears movement, Mm -hmm. they don't want to move their head in space in different planes. 
Right. So then that's why they scooch on their bottom is also because the rotation really wasn't targeted. Mm-hmm. Right. Got it. Ha-ha. So the whole point of this podcast also being a how-to to to teach that rotation component to go Mm -hmm. from sitting to creeping is the importance of the in-between movements. Wow. Yes. Very cool. I like it, Kirstie. Very cool. Move from being a good therapist to a great therapist. Don't just teach the milestones. Teach the in-between. Can you give us an example? Yeah, I see all the time children that are low tone, in particular Down syndrome. If I'm going to have a child in sitting position and now they're going to go creep, they're going to get into the creep position. I see them do that one way for a child with Down syndrome. They have their legs in a wide split. They take their legs back behind them because they are so low tone. They get on their belly in prone. They push up into quadruped and they start creeping. Every single one of those movements, besides the rotation of the hip to get them back behind their body, (laughs) was in the sagittal plane. Right. They don't use their core. And when they don't use their core, what do we see when children get older and they're not using their core from very early on? They develop all these compensations. So they have poor core strength and they have difficulty with handwriting. They have poor core strength and they have difficulty with oral motor control. So you see it feed over into other areas if we're not working on the rotation of the trunk. Wow. So I am very, very appreciative to the woman that challenged me. About nine years ago, she made me better. Kirsty, that was awesome. I've learned creeping versus crawling. I'm embarrassed to say it. Which was um, not the point of the podcast. <laughs> no, it was not. But it was the in-between <laughs> stuff. But hey, you know what? T- count your victories. This is in the plus column. I learned something, right? <laughs> and I know that you listening got a lot from this as well. Thank you, Kirsty. It really was awesome. If you're lucky enough like me to be able to watch Kirsty daily at work with her little kiddos and her people that she sees, you're a lucky person. So I am, even if she didn't tell me the difference between creeping <laughs> and crawling a long time ago. Still, I'll give her some kudos. But thank you, Kirsty. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys, for listening. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Theory. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 